0: Welcome to the new episode of SupplyCast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today, I am being joined by Claire Hall. Claire is Procurement Manager at Royal Berkshire NHS Foundation Trust. And Claire, you're you're, you're pretty new to the sector, aren't you? Hi,
1: Bruce. Yes, I am. Um, I have only really joined the sector officially in the last year. So this job at the is my sort of first time fully in a procurement role.
0: Well, we're cheating a little bit because I actually was speaking to Claire off off air uh, about, about these things. So this isn't the first time we've discussed how long we've been in procurement. But what was interesting was, um, I had this whole idea about starting off the podcast <laughs> about the fact that, wow, well, you've entered into the industry as you just entered the most intense period in its history. <laughs> you've come straight, you've come straight into it. I mean, talk, you know, talk about the deep end.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I, just when everything turned into a deep end, didn't it really?
1: Yeah, I joined
0: February 1st. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, we are not blaming you for anything.
1: I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad, thank you. <laughs> but, but,
0: but, but, I mean, yeah, it's uh, pretty, I mean, that that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. One thing I was going to say before you answer that, because I am keen to get the idea of what that's like. Um, to some degree, I've been slightly undercut because we had a little chat off air before we went live, and you actually do have a little bit of prior experience of working in around sort of the the disease sector, you know, which um, that sounds rather unpleasant, but um, so first of all, tell us a little bit about what you were doing before procurement and then we'll talk about how you kind of got thrown into the deep end.
1: Sure, so I moved to Stockholm with my partner um, Mm -hmm. and I was sort of bumbling around and I ended up in a job for the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control in Stockholm. And I worked alongside the um, preparedness team there. So they work with EU countries to prepare them for infectious disease outbreaks. So I was with them for two years um, in sort of two different roles. So first I was at the, as in the admin side, and then I went on to some project management side. And that was when I got into procurement. So uh, when I joined as a project manager, um, they were working on a really big framework contract. And that's how I got got into it. I had to learn very quickly um, about framework contracts, about procuring, about Oju, all of that, and sort of organise four different lots. They were setting it up. So they had a procurement team there and I was sort of on the other side of the procurement spectrum. And I, I really enjoyed it. And it was something I thought I could then move forward with. So, yeah, I left. I left. The uh, preparedness team or infection control in January 2020 joined Royal Parks in February, and then yeah, been a wild ride. It was,
0: it was like being, being back.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so literally.
0: What? what um, I mean, you talk about preparedness. It was almost there's there's a crazy sort of synergy there, isn't there? So what was it, so what was it like? You probably thought, oh, I'll join here and 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 you, you know I can kiss goodbye to thinking about communicable diseases uh, for the rest of my career. And then, you know, obviously the COVID-19 thing happened. As someone that is that was fresh into public procurement, what was that like? Try and take me through what, when that first started to happen, COVID-19, the PPE stuff and all that, take me through what that was like as someone that was literally new to the industry
1: it was surreal so I wasn't a manager at that point I'm actually currently on secondment so I came I'm on a secondment with the manager position so I came in as a procurement specialist and it was utterly surreal I, I am very interested in um, emergency response mm-hmm. in general and preparedness and that side so I think personally for me I probably took more of an interest in the PPE side, in the preparedness side. And so I was involved in our internal procurement PPE team. So Mm. I was entirely focused on PPE until about November last year. Um, PPE took up about 70% of what I did um, until I took on this secondment. Um, It was very overwhelming, um, but in a way, because I was focusing so much on one thing, it was a little bit easier. I find that now I'm in a different role with a lot of different things. It's overwhelming in a totally different way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Whereas before I was just sort of constantly making sure we were up to scratch, what we could do. And yeah, the first wave, probably about, it was kind of weird, so a few of us went off sick. I was off sick for a few months Mm -hmm. um, and then I had to come back And it was, yeah, probably around summer where just, it was, yeah, there was a lot of chaos and a lot of panic buying is not the right word because we couldn't even panic buy. We were just trying Mm. to find and source things. So it was a totally different experience, utterly surreal. Um, Most of us were just running on a lack of sleep, but um,
0: yeah,
1: it was a baptism by fire.
0: (laughs) And what was it like? Because, you know, I, I actually started, um, Working with the HTSA, uh, you know, around about the same time, I and mean, I, I think it was maybe in March time, so around about the same time. Um, it also had nothing to do with to do with me. Um, <laughs> but um, one of the things that was very uh, very obvious was that, of course, there was this, there was so much media attention mm. on PPE and procurement, yeah, which I think was, uh, I mean, I mean, if you, you know, if you really think about it, prior to that you know, in general, people in the general public in the general news, you know, they weren't covering anything to do with procurement of, of PPE for um, for healthcare in the country. What was that like? Because, it, you know, it must be kind of, again, you've just started in the industry. You, this is probably an industry you thought you'd never hear spoken about on the news particularly. But you're coming home, you, you know, f- from work and it's on the telly. And as you say, maybe like... Uh, your partner's maybe even asking you about it, you know what I'm yeah, saying? I, had, I saw that yeah, tell I mean, I what was that like?
1: Yeah, so I had friends coming in asking me about it, um, I think the first wave um, was stressful, more stressful, because we found that there was quite a lot of, I don't know how to word it correctly, I guess bad risk communication on behalf of the government, so the government was saying things, and they were saying, yeah, we have enough gowns. Yeah. And we couldn't source any gowns, there were no gowns, they were all on the ocean. And so I know at least sort of from a clinical perspective, a lot of people suddenly understood that, oh, well, they've procured the gowns, you know, they, and they were coming to us and we were saying, I'm really sorry, but actually that's, that's false. Um, maybe some trusts do and maybe they did have some, um, but at that point we didn't have any. So I think the risk communication initially caused a lot of turmoil, I guess mm-hmm. I can say. Mm-hmm. So it was really great that people were understanding the process, because as you said, it was the first time people had really even thought about sure. how sort of things are bought, things are organised. Um, and now I'm finding it very interesting to see all the news, and it's it's kept in the news, mm-hmm. you know, with all the legislation and how things were procured, and now people are genuinely sort of, the public are now digging into the, um, the standards of procurement, and have standards been met, and sort of were suppliers put into place correctly which I think is really good it's, as you said it's the first time I've ever seen it in the news and mm. to read it still in the news is quite interesting
0: so that's sort of I mean I suppose in, in some ways that's some good that can come out of this mm. is the fact that um you know perhaps you know it's like uh, the, the water test isn't it testing to see if something's watertight and yeah it's very difficult to create a, um, you know, a a fake pandemic to try and test these things. You really only, it's something you unfortunately kind of learn on the, on the job, don't yeah, you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I did in my last job. We used to run um, basically fake pandemic in a room. So we'd get everyone together and we'd be like, right, this is the pandemic. What do you do? How do you communicate? Um, and in December last year, we were doing a risk communication one, ironically. Um, sorry, December for last. Um, so it is, it's very, very hard. And I know in my last role, all you can really do is make sure people know who to contact. It's forming connections. It's, and I think we find that a lot in procurement, half of it is just connections. It's understanding internally who you need to speak to as well as externally who you could lean on. Um, and that's something I've had to sort of never really, I've had to deal with it before, but not at the point where I think some procurement professionals do. Um, sure. I'm sure there's loads of other industries that do the same thing, but it was, mm. that was something I definitely learned. You really start leaning on um, sort of other trusts um, and sort of there's certain suppliers that you might sort of um, see if they have any information and making sure that you're following the right process. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: Did you find the, the previous experience you had in with the uh, European communicable disease uh, role that you had previous to that, um, did you Was that useful at all once stuff happened? I mean, not directly, but w- was there any aspect of that you were able to take with you when we had the COVID-19 stuff that, that you felt was useful, that you had that knowledge?
1: Yeah, I think the risk communication was really useful. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that was basically, and it, a lot of it comes down to just being honest about what you know and what you don't know. And I lean on that a lot, especially yeah. even in a non- sort of a time where we're not dealing with a pandemic I think as procurement professionals we deal with a lot of especially with clinical people who are stressed and who need things quickly um, and who may not understand how long cogs take to turn um, especially sort of within the NHS and I think I try to be as honest as I can and if I don't know something I'll be honest about that and I feel like that's taking me quite far Mm -hmm. because people tend to sort of they trust you because you just you're as upfront as you physically can without sort of giving them any false hope. Um, so that's something I've definitely taken taken into consideration and taken on board. Um, Cause I think risk communication can go from sort of, as you said, sort of a infectious disease outbreak level all the way down to sort of someone's really urgently needing a small product, but that small product is 50% of what they do day to day.
0: Would you ever um... Was there ever a moment, um, I suspect not. You, you, you seem very confident and uh, you know at, at ease with surroundings, but was there ever a moment where you were like almost, well, this wasn't what I signed up for. I mean, because it was a true once, I mean, I know that everyone in that works, there's, I know because I've spoken to the, to the guys at the HCSA a lot. So I know there was things in the past there's winter flu, this stuff like that. There's even, you know, like Brexit, which were things that were needed preparedness, and um, and you was aware that there could be, you know, issues. So there's all that kind of planning. Um, but was there any aspects of you when you were into when, when this happened, where you thought, "Wow, this is this is a bit heavy, a bit soon."
1: Yeah, it was a lot. It was also hmm. a lot of. I felt like there was a lot on our shoulders. Um, you feel so responsible, you take it on and you become very attached to it. And I think I got very emotionally invested in it and very emotionally attached. And so if things didn't come through, I got very upset and I got, I think, you know, emotions were high and we just wanted to do the best. And we were, I think as a procurement team, we were so aware of how hard the clinical teams were working you know, and how much they were working, and how far they were pushing themselves. And um, we were trying so hard to make sure that they could keep coming to work, and they'd keep being safe. Um, We had a lot of close calls, as I'm sure every single trust did. Um, And yeah, so there were a lot of times I felt really overwhelmed. Um, I felt very new. I felt, you know, very sort of just out of my depth. Um, And so I'm, I'm just so lucky we have such a great team. Um, and I say that a lot because there's a lot of times we're all very stressed. Um, yeah, sure. So, yeah, you just got to have a team to lean on.
0: Was there within your team were there other people that were quite needed to um, to the sector like yourself, or were you surrounded by people that generally are a lot more experienced, or was it a blend? Or so
1: I think. I think it's April, a few months after me, just hmm. after the sort of the start of it all. Um, we had a new member of the team join, and she comes from. Um, I believe, a buying background, but as with me, sort of hadn't been as sort of hands-on in a procurement sense, as in a pure procurement sense, um, as we're in now. So, yeah, there were two of us. Um, and, yeah, yeah, we were both a bit like, oh, okay.
0: Was he a similar age to you? Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. So you, you, you found... Um... So you kind of gravitated towards each other you were both new um you were both around about the same age so you sort of bonded over the issues of what were going on there
1: yeah it was great it was actually really great to have someone um to sort of speak to and Mm. figure things out with and um sort of if and we still do this because i think you're still learning all the ins and outs and intricacies and sort of, if, if we find something that's useful, we'll sort of send it across to each other and sort of ping it across and say, you just just have this on the side. Um, yep. So yeah, it was it was great, it was stressful, um, but it was really nice to have someone um, to sort of go to and be like, mm, am I going a bit crazy about this? Is this confusing? Mm. And she'll be like, no, no, it is, I'm confused too, so. Where
0: are you now with with, with, with things? I mean, I know the PPE situation is, a, is um, a lot calmer just from the the feedback that, that we get um, but obviously you've got the vaccinations now are you involved in in the process of getting vaccinations
1: um so the vaccinations not really um i've taken a little <coughs> bit of a back seat with ppe mm-hmm. so i do help out um but i'm now dealing a lot with capital purchases part of my comments okay. so um yeah ppe we're now up to sort of a we try to keep between 14 and 21 days supply so we've got a really good buffer now. So even if we do have issues or hiccups with the system, we've, we we're sort of ensuring that clinical staff have things. Um, so that's great. So yeah, a lot of the problems I say have been ironed out, but we have, it's not that they have been ironed out, it's that we have the buffer to cope with the yeah. problems now, whereas before we were hand to mouth. Um, and vaccinations, um, I wasn't really involved in it. So we did have to do the setup and the procurement for the bits and bobs to set up the center. Um, sure. But we sort of didn't have too much of to a say as to what we got and when we got them. We were just waiting for a call, from my understanding of it, and I could be wrong, so caveat that. Um, <laughs> you get angry tweets. But, yeah. We love angry
0: tweets. We love <laughs> them. We live we live for angry tweets. <laughs> um,
1: sorry, actually, you'll find.
0: So. Yeah. Caveat. Um, so... Uh, how do you so how do you feel about? Well, obviously crazy first year in the job
1: mm.
0: how do you feel about it it now it hasn't are you still i mean is is this an is this a sector an industry public procurement is this something that you see yourself staying in for a reasonable amount of time have you been put off in the last year because of you know because of the nature of it uh, uh, you know or do you even i'd hate to have been asked this question that at your age, by the way, I, I, I railed against those. I, I even refused to go to my careers meeting when I was 15. The <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going, I've got nothing to say to you. i um, a protest. Yes, yeah, I refused to be pigeonholed at 15. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, yeah, well, how are you sort of feeling about the industry? Is this something, I mean, you've, said, you've spoken about how you was very uh, invested Emotionally invested in what you were doing um, over the last year. Is this something you can see yourself sort of staying in? Yeah, it's,
1: I mean, yeah what's, yeah, what's weird is that I found that because of sort of the last 10, 11 months of craziness, I almost feel like I'm still very new because the <laughs> sort of business as usual stuff I haven't really been dealing with. Right. So I'm still yeah. learning so much about right. sort of the inner workings of the trust. Mm-hmm. um and i know with public organizations so i was in with the eu organization before it's there's a lot of cogs and you've got to figure out who does what and there's a lot of sort of internal knowledge that you have to absorb in order to sort of do your job as effectively as possible mm-hmm. and so weirdly i'm sort of 10 months behind So i still feel like i'm very new to sort of the normal side of the job um but i it is something i sort of want to continue and get better at and improve my studies. so i really want to do the six courses mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just saving up for that um, to try and get sort of qualifications, make sure I sort of know the ins and outs, because as much as you can learn on the job, I would still like to have that sort of on my CV, um, just sort of as yeah. a, on the side. Um, so, yeah, it's something I'm definitely looking at um, as a career. So previously I was bouncing around quite a lot, so I moved around a lot and I was um, I'm a bit of a bouncer, so I'm, tr- I'm trying mm-hmm. to just yeah, yeah. sort of.
0: Set up roots.
1: Get some roots, I know. <laughs> the, the thought of roots gives me a small amount of anxiety. But
0: just, just like I did ahead of that careers meeting at 15. Exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying, exactly yeah. what I was feeling at the time.
1: And now i <laughs> moving cities and I'm like, I need to just stop. I need to just stop.
0: Yeah. yeah. Where was you actually born? Where was you where so did you sort of live your early life?
1: Yeah, I was born in Durban, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Grew up a lot of it in Joburg. Then at sixteen I lived in Dubai. Went to dubai and then i came to uni here and then bounced back to dubai bounced here to london and then went to stockholm and now i'm here now i'm in bracknell
0: okay you, you must have some uh, you must have brought up some um, airplane coupons and that without traveling around did um, yeah. does it does it where you where you're based now does it feel like home or, or do yeah, you see as anyone like that? Oh, home so
1: I struggle a bit with the concept of home.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and <laughs> um, it's something I'm sort of, yeah, an internal conflict, sort of a third culture kid issue. Sure. I know a lot of people I lived in Dubai with have the same thing. But mm-hmm. you never really set up roots long enough to sort of. I guess up to then, South Africa definitely felt like home. And then I moved and I kept moving and it was all a bit funny. Um, I certainly don't feel British. And that's. A lot of it is culture, in the sense. Sure. I constantly come up with things. I'm like, that's just weird. It turns out, it's just a British thing.
0: Like what? So, oh so what's things top top, top, top you? what's, what's your what's your number one weird British thing?
1: Oh, now I have to really no put me on the spot. Um, Don't say
0: doing this podcast.
1: <laughs> the weirdest thing, yeah, <laughs> five years.
0: Um,
1: oh, it's just um, I can't think of things, but just guess like how I see time is probably the weirdest thing. Right. So British people are, are very good at timekeeping. Right. Very good at timekeeping. I'm just, I'm just not. And yeah. it, like one thing, sort of like colloquial language. So mm-hmm. if I say like, "Oh, grab a couple of lemons," my partner right. grabbed two lemons, right. and I meant about five. And so <laughs> things like that, where I'm like, "This is." Crazy. Yeah, And if I'm like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute, it could be anything from now, five mm. hours to three days.
0: Right. So, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I've not, I've not, um, I've not heard the, um, that, but you're right. I suppose it can be confusing about you, what you mean by those little colloquialisms. Very small
1: you, things like that. I'm just, just takes me completely. Have you mind. gotten used to it
0: a bit more now? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're still only getting two lemons. That's what you're saying. Ridiculous.
1: I, I argue <laughs> about this a lot because I just don't think it's right. Even though I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong.
0: But what, can you, what can you do with two lemons? It's, it's, it's crazy. You can't. That's pointless. You might as well have no lemons if you've <laughs> only got two lemons. Five or
1: nothing.
0: <laughs> exactly. Five is I, probably too many. I lemons. mean, I think it's accepted that if you ask for lemons, you need a minimum of five if you're going to do anything with them. At all. It's a lot of different
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it is. It is. No, yeah, probably about 15, no, yeah. 20. You'd probably get 20 gin and tonics out of five lemons, wouldn't you? If you think yeah. about it. Depends, you know, because you don't want those thick slices, do you? They take up too no, much. No, because then it just turns Body.
1: into like really acidic gin. Yeah,
0: no, That's you're absolutely tonic. right. Um, it's So so. it's, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. As we, When we round down at the end of each podcast, what, what, what we do is I ask, I've, I've now started calling this segment at the end of the podcast, desert island supplies right just uh you know it's just you know let me have it it makes me happy to call it that and um (laughs) what it is is what we say is you're on a desert island right now this question assumes that on the desert island you're fine for food you know mangoes coconuts whatever i mean if you want to be you know, if you want to be a bit more bold about it, there's maybe some livestock, I don't know, maybe you're a vegetarian, maybe, you know. But um,
1: on
0: the floor? Yeah, there you go. Um, fish, obviously, you know, there's all that. So let's assume that you don't eat anything. If you was going there, but you could only take, let's assume for the sake of arguments, which I know it's a really weird thing to assume. There's a, there's a sort of DVD or Blu-ray player or a PlayStation on the desert island. And, okay. and, and, and um, what would be, but you could only listen to one album for the rest of your life okay. by an, an artist, and you can only watch one film. Okay. That's it. So you get to take one album, one film onto the desert island and, and you're going to be there for the rest, of your, with the rest of your life with with as many lemons as you, as you need.
1: All the lemons. Okay, yeah. I need, hold on, please hold while I Google this because I think I know the name of the <laughs> um, But I'm going to, I don't want any angry tweets. So, mm. okay, so the film, mm. I think I would choose Clue. Clue?
0: Mm. The, the, the film based on Cluedo? Yes. But it's called Cl- Cluedo. If anyone that doesn't know this, and there might be some people, Cluedo, the famous uh, murder mystery detective game, is known outside of England. It's generally known as Clue, and there was a film made about it with Tim Curry in Tim the eighties.
1: So great! If you haven't watched it, take some time aside, watch it. It's brilliant. Always makes uh, me is well. the more.
0: Is, that your, it, com- the more is I-
1: that your comfort film? Um, Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: That and the Grand Budapest Hotel is a good comfort film for me. Right. It's like watching it. I just sit and just stare at it. All the I guess
0: you need a film that's a comfort film, but also a film that you, you can watch a lot of times, but, yeah. you know, because you're gonna be on that desert island. Yeah. Watching it a lot of times.
1: Good thing I have bananas in case the DVD scratches and I can just rub some banana on
0: them. It's perfect. Perfect. You're, you're, all got it already. you're ready to go, really. Sort of. what it? what it's awesome. a angelic helicopter- like Drop you in the middle of it, yeah. Um, and the 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 album.
1: The album will be Blink One Eighty Two and America State.
0: That Blink One Eighty Two, are one of my favorite favorite bands. I'm a bit of a uh, bit of a punk fan. Yeah, um, I'm, s-
1: I'm still really into pop punk.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. And what a great combo, Blink One Eighty Two and Clue. All the lemons you can carry. All the lemons. Everything else. <laughs> well, look, Claire, thanks for joining me today. It's been really good. It's been really interesting. And, and you know, um, you know I, I had no idea um, about um, your, your background to do with the communicable diseases, but obviously clearly very interesting to hear about that. And, and it, as it, through quirk of fate, turned out, it gave you a really perfect kind of, um, um, you know, preparedness for coming into public procurement last February. Um, so thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking the time.
1: No um, it been really um, fun.
0: Um, I, I know you were telling me that you're very keen to become a HCSA member. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we're, so we're, we'll get, I, I, I don't, we're, 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 um, I'll direct you towards, towards that. That's a little bit of a sales pitch at the end. Um, so thank you for joining me. It's, it's, it's really been good. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Well, thank you.
1: Appreciate it.
0: Okay, and that's that for this episode of Supply Cast and join us uh, next week. <laughs>